when it comes to the issue of sin. You know, Scripture says, sin shall not have dominion over you. In John chapter 4, listen to these words of Jesus. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Apostle Paul had this prayer for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 118. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. I know we've read this portion of scripture before, but Paul's saying, man, I'm just praying that your eyes will be opened up, that you'll know the hope to which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty spirit, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What is that power that Paul is talking about? What is that power for? I believe with all my heart that power is so that you and I can live a victorious life, that we can overcome sin. What's crazy because it's like the enemy wants to taunt people and torment them. We preach salvation. We preach the power of the cross. And then sometimes when people's, their day-to-day experience, their day-to-day experience seems to teach them or have a different theology or what the word of God teaches. Do you hear what I'm saying? Their day-to-day experience oftentimes is not one of victory. Their day-to-day experience is one in which they feel like they're overcome by discouragement. They're overcome by defeat. They're overcome by fears and by sin. The salvation that the Lord provided is totally thorough. God has taken care of all the wrong that you and I have done in the past. We have that assurance that when I come to him by faith and confess my sins, that there is not one of those sins that will ever, ever be remembered against me again. Now, Satan may try to bring him up to your mind, and he may try to accuse you, but before God, God casts those sins into the sea of God's forgetfulness. He's also given you everlasting life through the cross that you can begin experiencing now in the present. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says that we've passed from death to life. With this in mind, what do you think God is asking of you? Since you've been forgiven, since you've been accepted, since you've been given eternal life, what does God ask from you? I believe one thing that he asks, he asks for us to trust him. In the midst of all this, it's just that you and I, God, I'm going to trust you with whatever I face. I'm going to trust you with whatever comes my way. I'm going to trust you in every circumstance. Because of what you've already done, I just determined in my heart, I am not going to be shaken or moved. I am going to completely, I started trusting in you, and I'm going to complete trusting in you. However, I believe that what God desires for us is that we fight against sin and that we be victorious. See, because God's not against you because of sin. 
He's with you against your sin. And as we talk about this freedom from sin's control, that you will agree with God and come on to his team and fight against sin and be victorious. The victory is possible because the cross deals with not only the penalty for our past sins, the cross also overcomes the whole reality of our nature of sin. It is this nature that brings about specific sinful actions and attitudes in our lives. We can be assured that if the cross dealt radically with sin, the issue of sin, the cross will deal radically with sins in particular. Our sinful nature is the reason that you and I commit sinful actions. Our sinful nature is that controlling tendency that keeps drawing us away from God. When we come to Christ, we must die to sin as the dominating factor in our lives. When we come to Christ, see, before you come to Christ, there was things I did, I didn't even feel bad. Like I knew they were wrong, but it wasn't, I didn't feel bad. How do I know I've changed? How do I know that something is different? Because something was awakened in our spirits when we came to know Jesus as Lord. That dominating factor, we got to die to sin. In places where we cannot help ourselves, we can find victory over sin. In those places in your life where you say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you, I'm trying. And you don't seem to be experiencing the victory that we preach about through the cross. We can find victory through what Jesus has done. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. And this is a tough portion of scripture. You can turn there quickly if you want. 1 John 3, 6. He says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. How many of you would say that's a tough verse? For some of us, there's been different times in my life where I just wanted to quit then. If we're honest, there's been different times where I just wanted to to give up. Well, I guess maybe I'm not really in Christ. Let's take a minute and read verse 7 through 9. It says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And what is the devil's work? It's sin. It's ungodliness. It's unrighteousness. That's why he appeared. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. If we would take the time to study the grammatical form in the original language, commentators would suggest to us that the verb used for sin can be translated as no one who is in Christ will keep on sinning or continue to sin, or make a practice of sinning. Perhaps a good way to say it would be, whoever is born of God never ever again continually practices sin. Why does a person who's born of God no longer practice sin? Well, because the Spirit of God comes and lives within us. And there's something crazy that happens in your house when you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and sin tries to come in, like there is, boom, there's an explosion that takes place. There is something that happens. There's an incredible disruption 
whenever as a child of God in whom God's spirit dwells, when you attempt to live in sin, to continue in sin, to practice sin. Why is that? Verse nine, no one is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in him. He can't go on sinning because he's been born of God. Because Christ lives within you. Jesus dealt with sin upon the cross and now he dwells within you and his desire is to live his life both in and through you. Christ living in us makes a difference in regard to sin in our lives. His presence makes us more aware of the danger of sin, the consequences of sin, and how sin breaks fellowship with God. Probably in your mind you're saying, what are you trying to say to me today, Pastor? Because we do sin. The Bible says, for all is sin and fell short of the glory of God. You'll say, well, I make mistakes all the time. We need to be careful that we don't use our experience as the starting point for our interpretation of the Bible or or that we don't interpret the Bible by necessarily by our experience. Perhaps we should lift our experience to the word of God because when it comes to sin, God intends for the cross to make a radical difference in your life, that you're no longer comfortable, that you're no longer cool with having sin in your life. You know, sometimes just being honest, I think I have a sensitive spirit to sin in my life. And sometimes that's a burdensome thing. I mean, if we're just completely honest, it's one of those things where when you're not doing what you're supposed to, your mind is tormented or where you're troubled, where the pressure is on you. And don't ever regret having that. Don't ever regret having a sensitive spirit to the voice of God. When God puts his finger on those places and you grieve and you're disappointed in yourself, and all that. Don't ever get a hard heart. Don't ever let your heart get hard. So thank God whenever God points out some of those places in your life, and maybe some of you struggle with certain issues or attitudes or areas, don't ever allow your heart to get hard. Thank God that, you know what? Wait a minute. Some of us feel like, well, uh, I ought to just quit. I ought to just give up. But thank God, here's the thing, the Spirit of God is revealing those places in you because he's coming and showing them to you because he's willing to change that in you. He's willing to let his life flow through you. Now, if you're going to try to do this all on your own, I'll just explain to you that you will probably be pretty frustrated. It's allowing Christ's life to live through you. It's not getting strong. Throughout so much of my Christian life, I've wanted to get strong so I didn't have to bother God with all these little things. Any of you ever feel that way? Lord, I want to just be strong. I want to be strong and mature spiritually so that I don't have to come to you and bother you with these things. I remember talking to my mom not long ago, and I said, Mom, it stinks being human. There was something that came up, and it just troubled my heart, and talked to my mom about it, and my attitude really wasn't really great about it. Talked to her, and I said, It stinks being human. I don't want to have those attitudes. I don't want to have that reaction to things. And yet, what is God asking us? He's asking us to bring those places where we see that we're falling short. And he's wanting to allow his life to live through us. He's wanting us to, every day, being totally 
and completely dependent upon him. God, I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to depend upon you today. I need you to live your life through me. And let me ask you this. Why is it for us as believers, a rhetorical question, why is it that there's some days, like when you came to know Christ, there were some things in you that just dropped off like that. There were things that just were, boom, they were done and gone. Once and done. That was it. Never to be dealt with again. And then maybe there was other parts of your life where you know that God did that. You know that God changed that. And maybe there was another issue or attitude or something else in your heart where it just seems like such a struggle for you. You're just saying, God, why can't I surrender that to you? Why can't I gain victory over that? John makes it clear that for the true child of God, the active practice of sin is replaced by the active practice of righteousness. Look at verse 7 and 8 that we just read. 1 John 3. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. God wants to replace, he wants to replace this active disobedience and active sin and active rebellion with active righteousness, with right living. Listen to verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We become righteous not just in our position before God, but as Christ enters our lives, in our daily experience, in our daily life as well, we become righteous. When you are born again, we're not just positionally righteous. As God's spirit works in us, confronting sin, he cleanses us and he removes those things so that our behavior and our actions and our attitudes become righteous as well. In the scripture, freedom from sin is always connected with the active pursuit and observance of righteousness. So does that mean we live a perfect life? That you never commit a sin? That if you do, you should just give up? That if you do, you should question the fact of, am I really even saved? Is that what that means? That I should just throw up my hands because I knew I couldn't do it and those people who told me I couldn't were right? No. But it does mean a consistent pursuit of holiness and a consistent growth in holiness. That's what God is looking for in our lives. Though we may occasionally sin, we no longer continue in sin or remain in sin. And aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? Aren't you thankful that those times, I get so miserable. When I get the wrong attitude, when I get things out of line, I get so miserable, and I thank God for that. Really, I do. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how whenever we sin, it impacts everything comes disjointed. I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit because he's so faithful just to show us where we are wrong. He's so faithful to do that. And it's not out of condemning. It's because he loves us. It's because he cares for us. Living in sin now as believers, if we try to live in sin, it goes against our nature. 
It goes against who we are. It don't feel right. It don't connect. It's not who we are. One of the key rules of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to convict us of sin. The person who claims to be a child of God but deliberately holds on to a particular sin in his life is quenching the work of the Spirit. He's quenching the move of the Spirit. He has to. Either that or maybe there's some who, some would say that maybe they're not believers at all. You and I need to feel and to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need that on an ongoing basis. Now, what happens when a Christian doesn't repent? The person's heart grows hard and God's word loses its power. Not loses its power in the world, it loses its power in that man's life because he's hardened his heart. Romans 5 ends by talking about where sin abounds, that grace is much more abound. Then Paul asks the question, well, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Some people have the attitude that it really doesn't matter if they sinned because Christ died for their sins. But listen to how Paul responds to that question. Paul says, God forbid, how can we who have died to sin ever live in it again? How can we ever live in it again? The very nature of salvation is that God is working to eradicate sin in our lives. He places within us a horror for sin. As a Christian, indifference towards personal sin really is unacceptable. At one time, we were slaves to sin, but now we've been set free. Jesus has set us free. He's broke the chains that sin had upon us. He has loosened those chains. We don't have to live like slaves to sin any longer because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. If I could really stress one thing. The cross provides for us freedom from the control of sin. It provides for us freedom from the control of sin. Even those things that we find so difficult, maybe for you it's an attitude. Maybe for someone else it's pride or unforgiveness, or jealousy, or lust, or greed, or whatever that thing is. Here's the thing. There's this place for us to go to God, to run to Him, and to allow Him to live out because the Spirit is living in us. And we need to allow the Spirit to do its work of eradicating sin. Whenever God points something out to you, come into agreement with Him. The one thing I said a couple weeks ago, is that we were talking about victory. And the reality of it is, as long as we stay on Christ's team, we're assured of victory. If you got to get up every day and come to the Lord, maybe you got an attitude. Maybe there's something in your life that's holding you back. And you say, Pastor, honestly, I'm seeking the Lord. If you got to get up every day and come to the Lord and say, Lord, I lay this before you. You know my attitude. You know this jealousy. You know this pride. You know this whatever it is that's in my heart. I lay it before you. If you've got to do that every day, and Lord, I'm depending on you. Can I tell you, if you will do that, you will experience a breakthrough every day. Lord, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not turning back because I know what Jesus has done. I know that he is with me against this. What Satan wants you to do is to think that God's mad at you because of sin, 
He wants you to think that God's against you because of sin, because of those attitudes or those things that are unchristlike. God's for you against those things. And we have to keep putting ourselves back in that place where we're saying, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you to give me victory. Lord, what you did on the cross of Calvary is enough, not only to forgive my sins of the past, but to give me victory now with this attitude, with this wrong, whatever that's in my heart, whatever it is that's unchristlike. Lord, I just pray tonight that as we've just had time in your presence, I just pray, God, that you would speak very clearly and concisely. Lord, would you put your finger on the places in our lives that's ugly? Don't ever stop doing that, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you will root them out. If there's bitterness or fear, whatever those things are that are in our lives, you will be so faithful to root them out. And Lord, I just pray that you would teach us how to cooperate with you and allow your life to live through us and provide, provide the strength so that we can overcome sin. We're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, slaves to holiness. Lord, let us see the powerful work that you did and that we would know, Lord, in the practical, everyday life, the work of the cross controls my tongue. The work of the cross is enough to control my thoughts. The work of the cross is enough to control the attitudes of my heart. And Lord, we'll thank you for that, Lord. Your blessings upon your people tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.